Hi everyone, we've got a quick note for you today. This week, rather than airing a new episode of Yas Jesus, we've decided to use our platform to lift voices from members of the Black Christian community. It's our duty as allies and Christians to support our brothers and sisters however we can. And for us, that means taking this moment to listen. Our friends at the podcast of the Sacred Inclusion were kind enough to let us air this episode from 2018. It is an anointed conversation between Bishop Yvette Flunder and Angelo John Lewis. You will want to stick around for this. In fact, share it. What is diversity? What is diversity? What is diversity? What is diversity? What is spirituality? What is spirituality? This is Angelo John Lewis for the Diversity and Spirituality Network podcast. In case you're not familiar with us, the Diversity and Spirituality Network is an emerging community of people who actively explore the integration of diversity and spirituality. Now, we all have different opinions as to what that looks like, but for me personally, I see sacred inclusion as nothing less than a sacred path in and of itself. I'd like to invite you to rate the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts, which goes a long way to helping us spread the word and to share our message of sacred inclusion. Today, I feel extraordinarily privileged to interview Bishop Yvette Flunder, who's the founder and senior pastor of the City of Refuge United Church of Christ in San Francisco. Bishop Flunder holds both master's and doctorate degrees in ministry from the Pacific School of Religion and the San Francisco Theological Seminary. In 2003, she was appointed presiding bishop of the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, a multi-denominational coalition of over 56 churches and faith-based organizations from around the world. She's also the author of Where the Edge Gathers, a theology of homiletic radical inclusion. Reverend Plunder is a visionary religious leader who spent much of her life tending to the needs of marginalized people, particularly within the African-American community. In that capacity, she served as chair of the Black Adoption Placement and Research Center. She's been a founding member of the African-American Interface Alliance on AIDS, a consultant to the Congressional Black Caucus Health Brain Trust. She's also been an active voice for the Religion Council of the Human Rights Campaign, as well as the National Black Justice Coalition. Reverend Flunder, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so very much. I appreciate the invitation. Thanks, Angela. Now, there, are, there, there may be a handful of people that don't know anything about your background. So I'm going to ask you a question I ask pretty much all of my guests. Can you tell me just a little bit about your early spiritual or religious uh, training or background? Well, I am uh, the third generation preacher in my family, um, the first woman ordained minister, but certainly not the first minister. I was born and raised in uh, the womb of the Black Pentecostal Church, and specifically in the Church of God in Christ, uh, three 
of my male uh, relatives and ancestors were bishops in that denomination. And uh, I probably would still be in the denomination (laughs) (laughs) had not I had uh, some distinct departures, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we go along. But it's important for me to say that I have great love for the Church of God in Christ still, because that's where I began. And then emerged from that uh, in many uh, kinds of theological uh, evolutions that have me now as an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ, and then the leader of a fellowship of churches that are uh, multi-denominational, multi-faith paths, uh, predominantly African-American, and affirming of women's ministries and the LGBT community. Now, I um, had the great pleasure of reading a little bit in your, um, uh, what's it called, your oral history. I, I read the transcript, but I didn't listen to it. And you described quite eloquently a time that you felt estranged from the Church of God. And I wonder if you could share a little bit about that. Well, uh, I would say, again, that the departures that I have had from the Church of God in Christ, the Church of my youth, there are three distinct departures that I think are important to share. One is that I sensed myself uh, as a woman being called to uh, ministry, and particularly pastoral ministry at a very early age. And that is something that the church was and still to this day wrestles with uh, in terms of women having what is called a full charge of ministry. Uh, So that was definitively a departure for me. I think the second is the degree to which I felt called to social justice work. I was a part of a denomination that spent an enormous amount of time on what I call apocalyptic eschatology or more or less getting ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus with fire (laughs) and brimstone (laughs) and the complete destruction of the earth. Um, And so a lot of our time was spent in trying to please an angry God, essentially, so that we would not uh, be one of the people on the hit list (laughs) for, (laughs) for this angry God, you know. And so we did very little around social justice work because of that particular kind of eschatological uh, belief system. And uh, I I, I knew I was called to justice work. I knew I was called to bring the kingdom of God to earth more so than I was called to um, basically encourage people just to get ready to leave. You know, it was very important for me that social justice work was like fire in my belly. And that made a real departure. And I would think that the third and and, uh, departure that I'd like to lift up was because I sensed myself to be a same gender loving woman. And I think it's important for me to say that I was not alone as a same gender loving woman. I think what made me uh, unusual in that environment is that I was not willing to pretend that I was not a same gender loving woman that I felt affirmed in my relationship with God and my relationship with my partner. And consequently, it didn't make sense. It was an oxymoron that I could be in in a love relationship and also in relationship with God and have to lie about who it was that I was in love relationship with. So I did my searching to see where God is on this and also 
to try to determine how do I live out my life as a minister and as a woman, as a same gender loving woman, and as a justice oriented, a justice, I would like to say a justice warrior. How could I live those things out? And we had to create something that did not exist. Hence, the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries. Mm. And um, there's a lot I want to talk about with you about mm-hmm. that. But, um, you know, you, you started, we started our talk by saying that, um, you know, even though you were estranged from the Church of, Church of God, um, you know, you found some positive aspects about it. Yes. I wonder if you could sort of spotlight some of the positive aspects of that, what I'll call fundamentalist um, experience, and, and maybe some of the negative or, or more troubling aspects of it. Well, I, you know, my truth is when I was uh, a girl coming along in the church, and we're Church of God in Christ, not, not, not Church of God, I think. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. Uh, I was a very happy uh, child coming along. You know, the womb, the womb of the church was very protective. Um, we had our, our own culture, essentially, you know, we spent a lot of time in social gatherings. We had, you know, wonderful and powerful music and powerful preaching. And uh, we took care of each other. You know, all of us who were children were cared for by other parents and family members and such. Um, and we, it was a, a real powerful, however, closed society in as much as, uh, and I don't mean as in like a cult, but I mean a closed society in as in as much as there were certain things you could wear and couldn't wear. There were certain places you could go and you couldn't go. Um, and we made, we were company to each other and enjoyed being that. I was born in San Francisco and raised in San Francisco. And I never really realized how uh, avant-garde San Francisco was <laughs> <laughs> because I was in the womb of the church. So I just kind of went from home to church, you know, to school, to home, to church. And that was what we did, you know, and that was what we all did. And, and so we took care of each other when, when people were sick, when people were in trouble. You know, if you had a baby, there were folks that came to, to be with you. If you got, had bereavement in your family, there were folks who came to be a part of you. Uh, we just felt like, for the most part, we had a corner on what, uh, God was saying and what God was doing. And people who disagreed with us, you know, defaulted to hell. <laughs> if you didn't do it like we did, didn't believe it like we believed it. Even if other Pentecostals, frankly, if they didn't really see it like our particular denomination saw it, we, we, we had pejorative assumptions of it. You know, it's interesting. Um, one of the uh, I, I I reviewed. I don't know if you even remembered this, but you gave a you gave us a, you, you you preach basically, and it was it was called what I what I used to believe and what I believe then. Do you remember what I believe now? Do you remember that? Uh, I I certainly remember preaching sermons very similar to that <laughs> <laughs> because there, guess... there are several departures. <laughs> so um, I wish you could speak to that a little bit. I, I mean, uh, it, it really moved me. Um, because I, you are the first person that um, that I've talked to who, at one point, um, believed that, um, you know, um, how did you put it? You're on the default list. Yes. <laughs> yes, without question. You know, and and mind you, um, it, it is in many ways what I have come to call the the sin of religion. Uh, the sin is 
is authoritarianism and absolutism. Um, and it is even true of people who consider themselves liberal around, you know, because you can be, um, you can be a fundamentalist who is simulta simultaneously um, fraught with absolutism and authoritarianism. So we talk about people who are, are conservatives, who have those realities, but where any of us in our faith paths begin to feel that what we have is the full intact word and will of God and that everyone else is wrong, then we fall in the same category. Whether, whether our thinking is more liberal or our thinking is more conservative, you know, uh, whether we are Christian or Muslim or, or whether we are, whatever are our realities, that is the sin of religion. And so, so moving away from uh, some of the strictures and the uh, conservatism uh, and evolving from that, of course, involved reading the Bible. You know, <laughs> most people quote the Bible and they, and they also quote it from what other people said. So you quote quoters who quote quoters, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> but I, you know, I took some time and read the thing. I think it's important to read it and not just um, defend what other people have said and what has become an urban legend, you know, or what has become an acceptable interpretation. And so reading the text revealed to me that we, first of all, most people haven't read it. And secondly, that there's problems with continuity and we're constantly trying to help God have continuity in a book that is basically an, an edited volume of many different writings at many different times and places in, in humanity. But, we, but it has become not just a, a book of guidance, but it has become a manual to follow. And any book that becomes a manual, whether it's the Bible or the Quran or the big book at the 12-step program, you know, or the writings of, of anyone, when it becomes when sanctified in that way, it does not give opportunity for evolution and new thought. And so that was, a, that was my first real foray into trying very hard to hear what it was that God and Spirit are saying to me and us in this time. And then what is the baby and what is the bathwater? Mm. Because there are some powerful, powerful things that are consistent in the texts that came together to be uh, canonized as scripture in many different paths. And, and what is interesting to me, brother, is the fact that those realities are somewhat consistent from one writing to the next. Those understandings of the divine that, that speak to the heart of God are consistent and then, of course, there's also these consistent realities of if you don't agree with us, we're going to blow you up, you know, and burn you up. And, mm. and you know, and I think you have to find the baby and find the bathwater and not lose the baby when you are essentially evolving away from the bathwater. So that has been my experience. I hold on to certain truths. If, if, if I lost the whole Bible, if it all burned up and went away, there are two things that I would hold fast to. One is uh, the passage that says, and what does God require? 
Mm. Hosea, that we would do justice or do justly, love mercy and walk humbly. And the other would be the words that are ascribed to Jesus. The whole law and the prophets, the whole, all of the writings essentially are congealed in this, that you would love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. If everything else was lost, I think that everything about God leads up to and out from those passages. Mm. That is where my heart has landed and continues to grow and expand in my understanding of the divine. That's uh, that's beautifully put. Now, if people don't know about the, um, you know, the City of Refuge, United Church of Christ, let's say you're average San Francisco and you've just read the newspapers, you would probably think that this is a, this is like a gay church and this is for African Americans, right? So um, I'm going to ask you, really from I'm going to ask you, really um, two simple questions, and I guess we have to take them one by one. Um, it seems to me, and you can tell me different that the spiritual journey is different for gay people than it is from, from straight people, let's say, and also for African-Americans and um, non-African-American people or majority people. I wonder um, if, if you think that's true, and if so, um, how is it? What, what are the distinctive aspects of, let's say, the, the gay experience of, of uh, coming to terms with God or Christ, and also for, for black people and, um, and uh, white people? Well, I think that uh, to describe City of Refuge, which, by the way, five years ago, we moved the entire congregation to Oakland uh, for several reasons, primarily because San Francisco is becoming uh, ridiculously expensive for people to live, but also because of the fact that we bought a building that has 114 parking places, (laughs) (laughs) and it was becoming very problematic for our folks to park their cars that were driving in from the suburbs and such, where they could afford to live or could afford to buy a house and so forth. So five years ago, we did relocate. We're in Oakland. But for the first uh, 23 years of our ministry, we were located in San Francisco. And uh, a lot of our folks had to live in the East Bay. So I think that's important. But to your question, I would say that City of Refuge, um, like all churches, I believe, that are called, to be uh, a church or or a community of believers or or people who worship together in community. City of Refuge was definitively called to reach people who have been othered. And when I use the word othered, that definitely encompasses people who are of African descent in this country. It also includes people who are same gender loving, who are transgendered, who are living with HIV, who are um, specially abled, people who are in recovery and actively using in some cases. Um, and so the, the beacon light went out to communities of people and to individuals who have been othered. And uh, consequently, our congregation in its beginning and in its current reality at 27 years old we are now, continues to be a congregation who leaves the light on for people who have been othered. And finding a way to God when, um, and finding a way with a Christian base to 
finding a way to God is finding your way through the way people have used religion and scripture to demonize and vilify people. Uh, as women, uh, the, the text is not kind to women <laughs> um, in, in so many ways. And though we have heroines that we lift up from the text, the overall uh, societal and cultural realities that existed for women that are called upon to secure a, a less than equal role for women in society um, continue to be used against women over and over and over again, against our bodies, our, our ability to choose what we do with our bodies. The fact that as people say, I believe in biblical marriage, I say, no, you don't. You just think you do, but you don't, you know. The truth is that you were the property of your father to be sold to your husband for bride price. Uh, and, and if your husband died and left debt, you and your children were subject to be sold into debtor's prison. And if you had a brother-in-law, you could be passed on to your brother-in-law and become his property and your children, the property of your brother-in-law. In fact, the first real social service work of the church was to create the deacons. And the deacons role was to care for the widows and orphans because of the degree to which they were disenfranchised. And so the role of women in the text is not good. The role of slavery, the realities of slavery, there's no real biblical text that frees people from slavery. It's not there. You look for it, you keep looking for it, but it's not there because it was an acceptable reality. And the slaveholders, of course, read the text over and over again to slaves to get them to understand that there was no way out as it related to their relationship to the Bible and the relationship to the Christian church. And I think that the same is true for LGBT people, that tortured readings of all sorts of nuances, and I mean, I could go on and on and on, but tortured readings of, of uh, several passages that had nothing to do. Let me put it this way. My partner and I have been together 34 years. She is my spouse. She was my, my uh, friend. She was my uh, colleague in music ministry in particular. But 34 years ago, we just developed a relationship that for us was marriage, even before marriage was legal. I don't celebrate my legal marriage anniversary. I celebrate the anniversary of the day that we decided before God that we would be a couple. And that was 34 years ago. And there is no Bible for our relationship. Hmm. There are passages that folks try to bend in, into what it is and how it is that we live our lives, but there's nothing there for us. You know, but the truth is, there's nothing there for the Internet either, but we're on it right now. You know, <laughs> so essentially things do evolve. Societies evolve. Marriage has evolved from what it was to what it is. And so it is true about race. You know, the concepts of slavery, the, the evolution of the fact that people have a right to be free. That was not a part of the reality during the entire writing of what we now read from as text. 
So when we got together as a church, we had to try to decide how were we going to be in relationship with God after we were such a, an amalgamation of people who had been othered. And I tell you, brother, that we found our way to a God both in and beyond the Bible. Mm. God is still speaking. And the greatest mistake that the Christian church has ever made was to put a back cover on the book. Mm. To somehow suggest that we could make a manual Mm. out of a living word. Mm. God can say whatever God wants to say. And God is not contained because we put a back cover on the book. And that was our freedom call. And we began to open up and say, well, so what are you saying now? What, what are we to believe now? What can we canonize now? You know, kind of like Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. That would be a great, you know, we canonized Paul's epistles. Let's canonize Martin's mm. epistles. Make him St. Martin. <laughs> you know, he, he was, Paul was just a guy, just like Martin was just a guy. We're human beings too. And we are under the hand of a God who is still speaking. Mm. There is no, there is no road yet for where we are traveling. We are making the road as we go along. Thanks be to God that there is a fresh wind. Thanks be to God that there is still an opportunity to hear a fresh word from God. Amen. Yeah. You know, I love this uh, word othering because, uh, uh, and uh, I think those of us have been othered, however we are, uh, it sort of gives us a wound. Yes. That to some extent we have to, uh, let's say, overcome in order to get to God or to whatever, whatever you, everyone wants mm-hmm. to call it. Um, can you say a little bit about that, maybe from the point of view of either from an African-American or from a, a woman-loving person? Mm-hmm. So I, sometimes I refer to myself as a, a, a walking justice issue because I embody all of this stuff at the same time. Uh, And there are times that um, I feel the wound deeply, you know, um, both for myself and then vicariously for the people that I serve and serve with. And yes, there is a wound. And I I think that, that we make and have to make decisions about what we're going to do with the ways that we've been wounded. And it's, in some ways, almost in either or. Either the wound wins or the wound works. Hmm. And if the wound wins, essentially, and it takes from you, it zaps from you your joy and your purpose and your peace and your power, uh, then the wound wins. And the people who wound you, the wounders, they also win. But if you can find a way to make your wound work, there's something very powerful that can come from wounds that nothing else can provide. I'm reminded of uh, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. And when he says to them, um, because of the abundance of my revelations, that was given to me, and I, I kind of like the way the King James is on this. He says, it was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, 
lest I think more highly of myself than I ought. That's what he said. Mm. And on three occasions, he says, I asked God to remove this thing from me. And essentially God said, no. (laughs) But what God said is my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now, then there's a resolve. And I have lived this resolve. He said, therefore, I will glory in this infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because when I am weak, I am strong. There's something embodied in that that suggests that this designer issue, he says a messenger, God gave me a messenger of Satan. I I say that I am blessed to be born othered because I am empowered by my otherness. I am. I am empowered, first of all, to empathize Mm. with other people who are other, perhaps other othering than mine, but other nonetheless. And sympathize is not as powerful as empathize. Mm. I am blessed to empathize. The other thing that I, I think is a part of being other is that I realize it is out of those wounds that I am the most authentic. I realize that it is out of those wounds that the healer actually rises up. Mm. My fire as a justice warrior comes from my othering. And before I'll be a slave, my ancestors said, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to my God and be free. There was something about the fire that comes from being othered, when you know that you are in relationship with the divine, regardless to what anybody said. Was it, was it um, Thurman, Howard Thurman was talking about his grandmother, as I recall, and said something along these lines that the slaveholder said to her, but the Bible says, slaves obey your master. She said, no, it don't. He said, yes, it does, you old fool. The Bible says, Slaves obey your master. She said, not mine. Hmm. He said, what do you mean? She said, I tore that, I tore that page out of my Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I understand this entirely, right? <laughs> so I think that people who are other look for a path to God beyond what other people have said that God has said. All, all liberation theology whether it's Latin American liberation theology, feminist, womanist liberation theology, eco justice liberation theology, LGBT liberation theology is born at the flashpoint where people who have been othered find their way to God. There's Mm. something so powerful that comes with being othered. Yes. Yeah, so you can one can uh, experience it as a wound or or as a as a blessing. Yes, indeed. Mm. And the wound that blesses. Yes. I, you know, let me just say this. Uh, I've been you know hurt before in my life, and I mean where I fall down, hurt my knees, and hurt my elbows and stuff. You know, I have. Uh, I'm 63 years old now, so I have these miscellaneous 
areas of my body that have stories, you know. <laughs> but one of the things that I can say about my wounds is that I have some scar tissue in some places where wounds have happened from the time I was a kid. And scar tissue is not as pretty as the, as the part of me that wasn't wounded. But one thing about scar tissue is that it's stronger. Hmm. Where the wounds exist, we have the potential to be stronger than we were before we were wounded. Yes. That's beautifully said. I, for one person, I, for, I for one, have been um, inspired by your vision of radical inclusion. And um, I know that you have this fellowship that you have started with uh, all these churches around the world um, called the Fellowship of Firm Affirming Ministries. And I wonder if you could describe your vision as to what radical inclusion means to you. Well, of course, again, it begins with seeking to create an environment, uh, as I talk about in my book, uh, Where the Edge Gathers, where we create, uh, we sustain, and then we move to where we celebrate communities uh, on the margin. And that radical inclusion also suggests that there are people among us who may not, on the surface, uh, appear to be a part of an other community, but they other themselves when they become a part of us. And the, and the beauty of that is that radical inclusion means that we create an environment where all of us can together work for the things that we believe bring the kingdom of God into the earth. I think it's important that we go as far to the margin as we can and not go out incrementally. I think we ought to go as far as we can. That's one of the reasons why I say to people, one of the first things that we did was to create an environment to include the trans community. Hmm. Because we want to go as far as we can to the margins. And again, not in bits and pieces, just go all the way out there. Because I have found that if you go as far as you can to the, to the furthest margin, then you'll catch everybody, either on the way out or on the way back, hmm. okay? And so when we talk about radical inclusion, what we want to do is to be clear that we want folks on the furthest margin that we can reach out to, that we are called to reach out to. That's very important. And radical inclusion also suggests that we don't have to all believe the same things. We can mind the same things without having to believe the same things. Essentially, I'll give you an example. We have had water baptisms in our Fellowship of Affirming Ministries national meetings, our convocations, as we call them, and where we commandeer a swimming pool, sometimes early in the morning and without permission from the hotel. because we... <laughs> <laughs> They're going to tell us we can't do it, so we do it about 7 o'clock. And we, we figured out that, you know, it's easier to apologize. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we go to the pool, right? And so we have people that have been through all sorts of different kinds of faith paths, you know, and all sorts of different kind of Christian faith paths with all sorts of different kinds of uh, baptisms. And let me take an aside and say, in this absolutism of religion, how can there be like seven different baptisms in the Christian church and all of them think that's right, right? Mm. 
Everybody's right, but everybody disagrees. So there's so absolutism is a farce. That's the, mm. the, the mm. heart of what I'm saying. So when we get to the water, but we, what we have done is we have asked people, uh, in what names would you desire to be baptized? Essentially, mm. what do you want us to say over you? Since you desire to come to the water, what would you like for us to say over you? And all sorts of things have happened. People want to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. In the King James, okay? The King James words. They want to be baptized in the name of Creator, Christ, and Spirit. They want to be baptized and call the name of their Orisha. Be baptized and call the name of an ancestor. Be baptized. And it's amazing to me what people come to the water asking to have happen when they get to the water. But at the end of the day, brother, we're all wet. (laughs) (laughs) And we have all honored our faith paths or miscellaneous faith paths with respect Mm. and regard for the names by which people call the divine. It does not change the divine because we choose different names and different paths. The divine remains the divine. Glory to God. Mm. <laughs> the divine does not become diminished because of the names essentially that we have named. And, and it's so interesting. People say, well, there's power in a name. I say, what happens if the name in another language doesn't sound the same? <laughs> so, so did that disempower the name? And does name mean the actual sound of the phonics or does it mean the, the belief of the person who's calling it? If I say Yahweh, if I say Elohim, and I say Allah, what have I said that's different when I move from one to the other? You know, so when we get in the water, our intent in the water is to give everyone's belief in the divine, or whatever is their belief in the divine, room and space to coexist. God is bigger. God is greater. God is more powerful. We're even just one little planet in the, in the multiple, multiple, ad nauseum, multiple millions of realities that exist out there. How can we be that religiously self-centered Mm. to think that our small thinking somehow has got God trapped. How is that conceivably (laughs) possible? So radical inclusion to me says just like a universe can be multiple billions and gazillion, you know, opportunities for life, or a whole universe can be on the head of a pin and microscopically small, then God can certainly or our understanding of the divine can certainly be radically inclusive. Mm. All right, I'm going to ask you one uh, rather big question here, and okay. I know you're big enough to handle it. Okay. You know, there's a lot of troubles in the world today, and yes. there's a lot of different people looking at looking at all these troubles. We got environmental troubles. We got mm-hmm. troubles between different groups, different nations, different peoples. Mm-hmm. So. And there, at the same time, there are people that consider themselves religious and spiritual. Yes. So to those people, 
what, what would be your view as to what their responsibilities are in confronting the challenges of today's world? Well, first of all, uh, I'll go back and say, I think we have to tend first to the light within us. Hmm. What is our source? I cannot, I do, I do not believe, however, that tending to the light that is within us is where we should stop. And I know a lot of people who give themselves to prayer and give themselves to inner life and essentially stop there because they don't want to take on some of the things that need to be done in the world, essentially, and embody the light. So I think it's definitely twofold. I think we have to work on the light that is within us. I think we have to be open and honest and receptive to what God is saying, not only through what we read in text and written word, but also what the fresh wind of spirit is speaking into us. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. But then I think it's important to get some comfortable shoes on and go up in the attic and get our sign <laughs> <laughs> and get in the work, put some skin in the game, get out there and make our voices heard as people of faith. I don't think we can ever not be a part of movement work. Movement work is holy work. Putting our voice, our money, our time, our energy, our effort into what we believe to be right is the, is the outward work of our inward work. Mm. Do justice, love mercy, but do justice, do justice, do it, which means we have to hold our own selves to it. But also, I think it's important that we speak into the governments, the churches, the, the collusion of government and church. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, that, that, the, all of that hidden language, like make America great again, religious freedom. These, these things are another name for take us back to a time when we were in power and you people were not, you know, mm, those, those realities. I think we have to speak into those realities and say that, you know, Making making a nation, whether it's ours or any other one, great again when it began by stealing something from people and stealing people means that we cannot essentially make a nation great again until that nation repents. Mm. And when that nation repents, then that nation can do repair. You can't build a found you can't build a big building on a poor foundation and keep saying that the foundation is good when the foundation was wrong. When the foundation was stolen, you have to be able to go back to where that began and take a real good look at it, repent, and then rebuild. Mm -hmm. And so that's active work. That's work. And I encourage people of faith to get about doing something. Put yourself in harm's way. Get yourself engaged. Faith without works is dead. Get out there and do something. Get on the phone and do something. Get online, say something, become involved and engaged and put your prayer life into action. 
Let your inner light shine out so that people can really see it. We are the light of the world. A city that sets on a hill cannot be hidden. That's the important, I believe, work that we need to do. There's all sorts of ways. And everybody's not called to everything. But everybody is called to something. Something that we need to be engaged in. Well, that's well said. And allow me to give a little um, plug for my uh, diversity and spirituality network. And then I'll say goodbye to you in a proper way here. Um, uh, For those of you that want to know more about the network, you can, the simplest way is to um, join our private Facebook community. You can find us by going to Diversity and Spirituality Network in Facebook. We also have on the third Saturday every month, we have uh, online um, community gatherings, and you can find more about us by going to our website. And I guess the third way, if you really like the podcast and you like to support us, uh, please go to patreon.com. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can, uh, in effect, be a sponsor of the show. And again, it's been an enormous honor um, um, Dr. Plunder, and I'm going to, um, I will put your, Plunder, I'm sorry, I'm going to put your, um, you know, the um, the URL of the website um, in the show notes. Is there anything else, um, any other ways? And she's all over the internet, um, believe me, and um, beautifully so. Um, anything else you'd maybe want to share or just how people can reach you or anything at all, um, Dr. Flunder? Well, sure. I am on Facebook as uh, Bishop Yvette Flunder and uh, in a couple of places. you'll find me. And of course, uh, the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries is also out there in several ways. Uh, You'll see us, we're called TFAM, and we have a number of pages, uh, regional pages, and then the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries uh, dot org. We're out there. And uh, we have a global uh, fellowship called the Fellowship Global. And the Fellowship Global uh, will, represents our churches that are on the continent of Africa, in Asia, in Mexico. And you can find our work, um, some of the work that we're doing, how we're engaged, um, our conferences and such like. So please do feel free to connect with us and be a part of us. We're launching a new page in a hot minute uh, <laughs> that <laughs> that is going to be under... Um, well, it's under construction. <laughs> as, you, as you talk to us and connect with us, you'll find us, okay? Um, but it, it's going to be under TFAM. And, and TFAM is the short name for the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, okay? Well, this is just is really wonderful. And I also encourage listeners to share this podcast, um, share the word, um, share, share Dr. Flunder's word. And, uh, you know, thanks for joining us. And, uh, We'll see you next time. And uh, again, thank you so much, Dr. Flunder. Blessings. All right, blessings. Thank you so much. Bye bye. What is diversity? What is diversity?